Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So on Easter, we talked about the great love, and that's the first line in your notes if you have them. We talked about the great love God showed in leaving us his word, Jesus enduring the cross and raising from the dead. And then we immediately followed that, um, that message up with a series on understanding what it means to be a disciple of Christ. That's the next line there in your notes, a disciple of Christ. And that, excuse me, that includes giving up the rights to our own life, <clears throat> having a true heart of love for the Lord, following Jesus' commands, serving others, and wanting to be like Him. <clears throat> so you can kind of see the progression. You know, there's a Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has, has, uh, he has died. He has risen. He's appearing to all the, his followers and disciples. And then right before the ascension, he gives the disciples a, a, a command, a task, which is go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all people. <clears throat> so here he is. Um, that's the last thing he, instruction he gives before he ascends. And, and so we talked about these big ideas. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of get elbows deep in doing a little bit of work. And so this week, <clears throat> um, we're going to start a series. It's going to be five weeks long called 4-H, The Real Work of Relationship. And we're going to today spend our time in uh, two passages of Scripture that are in the same chapter. So Mark chapter 4. <clears throat> so you can read along with us or um, I can read it aloud here to you. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables. So get the picture here. Everybody's crowded around the edge of a lake trying to hear Jesus teach. Jesus realizes that not all of them can can hear what he's saying and see him. So what he does is he gets in a boat, pushes out a little bit from the shore, and people fill in all towards the shoreline. And while they're filling out the shoreline, he begins to tell stories, um, many of which are uh, captured here in Scripture, but there's also many of them that are not captured. But this is one of them, and he tells stories so they can relate to people who are believers and unbelievers alike. And so here's the story he gets into. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly, but because the soil was shallow, the plant soon withered under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that, that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then he said, Jesus, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. If you grew up in church, you might um, know this last phrase by kind of like the old King James, where it says, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the pastor and evangelist Francis Chan says that when Jesus makes this statement, he's telling people, 
you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning, like, if you get it, you get it. And if you want to follow me and you want to understand and, and draw the analogy, my spirit will reveal it to you. So if you get it, you get it. <clears throat> so this is where we want to spend um, our time today in this particular passage. So when I was young, well, I'm still young. So when I was younger than my young age that I am right now, <clears throat> um, about middle school age, about 12 years old, I had a friend of mine come to me and he said, <clears throat> hey, uh, do you want to join a club with me? And, you know, I was, I, I was raised in a time where, you know, if it was school night, nothing else happened. And we had, you know, a certain very restrictive on hours of TV you were allowed to watch and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and so when my friend asked me to come do something that was twice a week, once on a school night and once on a Saturday afternoon, I was like, sign me up because I want to go. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to be in this club that he's talking about. <clears throat> and I said, okay, sure. What's the name of the club? And he said, 4-H. And I'm like, I don't know what 4-H is. I don't know why there's not three of them or five of them. There's only four of them, but we're going <clears> to <throat> we're gonna go. And so I don't really recommend that if you're watching this and, you, and someone asks you, do you want to be involved in like a club or something? Find out a little bit about it before you decide to commit to it. But uh, because I did not do that and wound up paying a little bit of the price. <clears throat> so um, if you don't know what 4-H is, then don't worry about it. I didn't either. And um, I, it's actually still around today. But 4-H is um, the original purpose of the 4-H club. It's the next line here in your notes. Was to be an after-school agriculture program <clears throat> to teach children life skills outside of the classroom. It was an after-school agriculture program. <clears throat> so um, I didn't know anything about agriculture. And my favorite out-of-the-classroom out of after-school uh, activity was basketball. And that's what I wanted to do all the time rain or shine i wanted to be outside playing basketball <clears throat> so i had no clue about agriculture or what that meant so uh so I, I met my friend at his house his name was randy i met randy at his house and me and six other suckers i mean kids that were my age got into uh, their family van and we were taken to the 4-h quote-unquote meeting <clears throat> well randy's dad is her or his mom her, her name was ruth ann she she got us in the car and she drove us out to this really big land area that was the size of several football fields <clears throat> and uh every so often there was a piece of string or rope that would rope off this fairly sizable square area um and uh, in kind of a grid format along along this big open field and they all had numbers so as we were driving to this big field we had like number nine and so we were looking and counting all the way down to field to our our lot or our plot of land number nine <clears throat> and we got there and got out and we're trying to figure out what was supposed to be done so <clears throat> when we got out of the car randy's mom ruth ann told us um <clears throat> you're going to plant things and it's going to grow in the ground and we're like Okay, cool. And she goes, great. But first, before we plant any of these seeds, <clears throat> you have to clear the ground and prep it for the seeds to come. <clears throat> so I don't know if, um, uh, if you have ever been to Florida, uh, my home state, but there's two words that would describe Florida if you've been there. And it is hot and humid now we're here in arizona so we understand the heat portion but it's kind of livable at you know 112 115 degrees when there's only like 10 percent humidity it's not a whole lot 
if, <clears throat> but in, in Florida, there was high heat and high humidity. I don't know if you've ever been to Florida in the summer, but there is more heat and more humidity <clears throat> than there is normally. It's like trying to walk around outside in the heat with a wet soaking towel wrapped around your head, your chest, and all your extremities. It's really, really hot. And 4-H <clears throat> being agriculture work is, it's actually, the next line of your notes here, it's 4-H is manual labor style work. Now, I've done manual labor work before. I have no problem with it. If you're a manual labor, that's awesome. But at the age of 12, I thought I was going to hang out with my friends in this cool club, and I, I wound up getting handed a shovel and a rake to go outside in the humidity and do manual labor. It wasn't exactly <clears throat> the, the, the good time I thought it was going to be. And so what we did is we had to get out at the, every one of our quote-unquote meetings that lasted from an hour, an hour and a half, and we had to go <clears throat> and dig up all of the shrubs, these thorny bushes, <clears throat> the crabgrass. We had to dig up all the weeds. And this particular lot was just chock full of them. It just, it was like they never ended. And so we actually spent our first three or four quote unquote meetings <clears throat> trying to clear the, the land of the weeds and the thorns and the thistles and the, and the brush and the overgrowth <clears throat> just to prepare to plant the seeds. So once we got all of that done, <clears throat> we, you know, the last day we're, we're given everything we got. And I don't know if you've been around uh, 12-year-old boys very much, but they're at that kind of smelly stage of life, if I can say that, right? They, they kind of have the odor that kind of follows them around, kind of like uh, that, um, that uh, character from Charlie Brown, the, the, I forgot his name, the dirty one. It's kind of like that 12-year-old boys, right? <clears throat> so if you take those stinky 12-year-old boys and put them outside in Florida, and then they are drenched. We were, it was almost like somebody hosed us down with a water hose, we sweat so much. It went from just kind of stinky to horribly ripe. Man, we stunk. <clears throat> we got into this van and we went home and we took showers. Like, I, th I think I took multiple showers. I, that was a time of life where you didn't really want to be in the shower very long. Bump that, bro. I took a long old shower so I could get clean that day. <clears throat> and so I, um, I, the next time we went, uh, Mrs. Mullins came to us and said, okay, what seeds do you want to plant? And I thought, <clears throat> what's the options? And so she pulled out a list of all the seeds that she had, and she started going down this list. And everything on this list was a vegetable. And again, 12-year-old boys are not really interested in growing or eating vegetables. Like, I was waiting for the seed that didn't put out, like, tomatoes or onions or cabbage or something. I was waiting for the seed that, like, did a piping hot slice of pizza. Like, if you could do hit me with a double pepperoni that I could pick off of one of them plants that was all nice and juicy and gooey, man, I would still be in agriculture today. I would be an 800-pound farmer, but I would still be doing some kind of that garden and, and, and uh, the, you know, garden work and planting today. <clears throat> so... Um, so she wound up picking everything she wanted. I just wanted to stop by McDonald's and grab some french fries on the way home after we were done. So she picked all the things that she wanted to be in her salad, and we planted tomatoes and cucumbers and all kinds of things. <clears throat> and, we, and we put them there. And even though we didn't really like you know, the vegetables, or it wasn't our, our favorite thing, when we came back in consecutive weeks and saw those things starting to sprout up, there was this kind of a sense of accomplishment. 
like, man, there's, <clears throat> we're doing something really good and the work of our hands is being beneficial. But <clears throat> a couple of uh, weeks go by and we miss going out to the, um, we miss our quote unquote meeting and just because of schedules and some things going on with church. So we missed probably three of those meetings. It's about a week and a half. So after we missed those, <clears throat> those meetings, uh, we all got back in the van and went back to see our plot of land that had been unattended for about a week and a half to two weeks. And when we rolled up, we were stunned because the weeds had come back with a vengeance. These things, some of them were taller than the seeds and the plants that we planted, you know, that were supposed to be tomatoes and cucumbers and things. Some of these things were growing in new places. Some of them were growing in, in places, old places, because we didn't really dig, take the time to dig up the root of the weed. We just snapped it off and it came back even quicker. <clears throat> and we complained like nobody's complained before. You've got to be kidding me. <clears throat> we cleared this land and now we got to go back and do it again. And what we learned was <clears throat> if you leave your plot of land unattended, the weeds can grow back and grow back with a vengeance. <clears throat> and so I got really frustrated and my 12-year-old logic looks frustrated, you know, sweating, dripping with sweat, having like a, like a rake in my hand. I look over at Mrs. Mullins and I say, I got an idea. Why doesn't this 4-H organization hire somebody <clears throat> to come clear out the weeds at the whole thing and we can just spend our time caring for the plants? She got a nice little chuckle out of my recommendation because she knew I knew nothing about agriculture. <clears throat> and, she, and she said something to me that I will never forget. And it's um, the line here in your notes. It says this. The weeds would grow and left, if, um, if left undetended, would choke the life out of the plants. And then she said this. Removing the weeds from the ground was part of caring for what was planted. <clears throat> Removing the weeds from the ground was part of caring for what was planted. See, <clears throat> the lesson that, that we learned the hard way was that if you didn't, if you didn't um, take the time to consistently tend the garden, to remove any of the weeds or the brush or the shrubbery that was potentially going to kill those plants, if you didn't take the time, even if it was just a few of them, to go in there and remove those things out, if you didn't take the time to do that, they would get out of control very, very quickly. <clears throat> See, when I was getting ready for the message, I, we, um, I went back and thought about this the last several weeks and how the Lord has directed these series of messages that we've been in. <clears throat> and the next line of your notes there is, we understand the gift of God's Son, Jesus, and the price He paid for our salvation. We understand his direction to follow him and become his disciples. So now we understand that the price he paid and that we're supposed to be following his command to be a disciples. Now there's some work to do on our end. <clears throat> there is some work to do on our end. <clears throat> I can kind of see maybe some questions that from some, some of our uh, local people here in uh, RCC that you may have. Because you may say, Matt, I've heard you harp on a lot that 
the, the relationship with God is not based on rules and doing this and that and, and following all this, you know, these, this list of the Jesus rules and keeping all the rules right. And that's how we know that we're Christians. <clears throat> You've harped on that, and I have. But now you're saying that we have work to do? Is that a contradiction? And I would tell you no. And here's the reason why. <clears throat> Any relationship that you keep will take and require work. It will require work. If you want to have a great relationship with with your brother, or your sister, with your parents or your children, with your friends or your <clears throat> or, or your spouse, any relationship that means something to you that you want to keep for a long period of time will require work. It doesn't mean that the work is the foundation of the relationship. No, a relationship is the foundation. And out of that heart of love and commitment, we do the work to keep that relationship strong and fresh. I want to go back to Mark chapter 4, verses 13 through 20. And at this point, Jesus is looking at all of his disciples who have had questions about what does this story about the, 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 the farmer planting seed mean. And Jesus kind of corrects them, rebukes them a little bit. <clears throat> and then he dives into the meaning of this parable. And let's pick it up. Mark chapter 4, verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? <clears throat> the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Let's stop right there. The seed that fell on the, the footpath never made it to the soil. It never made it there. In essence, it's almost as if a person who hears the message of God's word rejects it and says, I don't want that. I don't want that to grow in me. I don't want to believe that. And they push it away. And those seeds that would normally take root in someone's life have been pushed away. They're not allowed to be planted or buried in the soil of someone's heart or their spirit or their soul. And it goes on to the path unplanted and the enemy quickly comes and picks those things up that have been rejected and moves them away so they can never grow in a person's life. Let's continue. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. I know people who this has been a very real experience for. They hear the gospel, they, they hear the word of the Lord, and it, and it starts to grow in them, and they get so excited, but they, their, their excitement was more emotional, their response was more emotional, and, and they got so jazzed up about, oh, I have something new in me, that they didn't take the time to cultivate roots growing deeper. They didn't saturate the, the word of God with, with his word, with prayer, with, with um, listening to the spirit of God, with continually doing things that would deepen the roots of the relationship with the master. And when they hit people who do this and, and their roots are very shallow, they didn't have time to grow deep and they didn't take the time to make those roots grow deep. When 
some kind of obstacle or opposition comes, then what we find is that plant has a very high probability of withering away and dying. And the Word of God that was alive there is now dead. Let's continue. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's Word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. Much like my 4-H experience that I, I just told you about, and when we didn't show up for several days, there was all of these these weeds and these and this crabgrass and these thorny bushes growing up around the plants we wanted to grow, and they were beginning to potentially choke the life out of these plants. In a similar way, if, if we get distracted by the cares of, of life, the, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things other than God, his, the relationship with Him, the love that He gives, returning our life in gratitude to Him, we get caught up with all these things. <clears throat> it says that the no fruit will be produced from those seeds that are growing. And finally, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much that has been planted. <clears throat> You'll notice that when it refers to good soil, there is, no, there is no reference to the seed being taken away because the person believed. They took the word of God into their heart with belief with acceptance, receiving God's word. You also see that they, these people who have this, um, um, th- this great produce in their life of 30 and 60 and 100 times, this, this harvest that goes on in their life, they have roots that are deep. And the, the, it also never mentions that weeds or anything are in this ground. See, the people who've done this have taken the time to remove those things, to cultivate the plant, and allow it to grow deep and the relationship to be real with God. <clears throat> the whole goal here of this series is because we, is, is we want to address and promote the idea that these things that have been planted in you continue to grow, that we don't lose them, that you don't lose them, that they don't, you don't hit an oppo- a moment of opposition and they die. Or you hit a moment of trial and you give up on the faith or you just remove these things. What we want to have happen is the seed of the word of God and that seed of relationship to take such a deep root and hold in you that it will be something that lasts your entire life. But every relationship takes work. Now, before we go any further, I want to I address something very important. And I'm going to give you four points if you're following along on your notes here. And I want to say something about this work. This work is important. It needs to be done. But I don't want us to miss to understand what the work is about, okay? <clears throat> so number one, doing this work, pulling the, pulling the weeds, letting, you know, uh, harvesting um, the, the, the roots to grow deeper, to clearing the land, to believing and receiving God's word, doing this work, number one, doesn't save us. <clears throat> it doesn't save us. Salvation comes... From God's grace when we believed in Him. That's Romans chapter 10. Number two, 
<clears throat> doing this work doesn't earn us more love from God. It doesn't earn us more love from God. I want to make a statement real quick that, that I really want you to write down and pay attention to or circle or whatever, how it is you have to remember it. I want you to remember this <clears throat> because for me personally, it was something that changed my life. God won't love you any more than the day you became born again. The day that you were saved and gave your life to Christ, that day you, you received God's love at its fullest point. He doesn't give you a little bit of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. He doesn't give you a little bit of it. And then later on, if you act good or you do these things, he starts giving you more and more and more and more and more. No, no, no. God is the essence of love. And he gave, he loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price with his love before we ever came to him. When you got saved, you were loved by God at the fullest. At that moment, you were in right standing with him and his love was ours. Romans chapter 5. Number three, doing this work doesn't give us extra brownie points. <clears throat> doesn't give us extra brownie points. This work and the good deeds that you do with your life are not IOU coupons from God. I don't know if you've ever been to a place like Chuck E. Cheese or a Peter Piper Pizza or any um, facility that's probably still not open due to the quarantine with all the kids, but it's a kids-based facility that you get to play games in. And if you play certain games, you get all these tickets. And if you take these tickets <clears throat> and take as many as you can, you go and they count them. They used to count them. They, now they weigh them. And they, they weigh them, and then you get to see, oh, I have 400 tickets. And you look on the shelf and go, oh, I can get anything that's 400 tickets off the shelf. Doing these good works is not like that at all. It's not like you get tickets and you go to cash them in, you know. I've been really living pretty morally good this last month, God, so I want this. So I'm going to cash in my good works to get something from you. No, that's not how it works. Why? Because eternity with God, with Yahweh, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, is the greatest reward any of us could receive, Philippians 3. <clears throat> Everything that we want as a quote-unquote blessing that's here on earth is merely temporary, my friends. And if we set our affection on the things above and to spending eternity with our Creator in the perfect place imaginable, not in punishment away from Him, but with the one who loved us enough and we are giving our lives back to Him, that is the greatest reward for a believer. That's the greatest reward any believer can receive. Point number four is this. Doing this work is an example of our loving commitment to God. <clears throat> Doing this work is an example of our loving commitment to God. Um, a good example of this is uh, my, my wife and I actually just two days ago on Friday celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary. And wherever you are, you can go ahead and applaud. Do a little golf clap, yeah, right there. <clears throat> um, but yeah, we we uh, we we um, we celebrated 21 years, 
And there's something that happens after you've been married for as long as we have. And it's been a, a great, wonderful ride. I have, I know I found the perfect woman for me. God <clears throat> orchestrated that and I am indebted to him forever for, for Nina. And it is, it is, it, she has made my life so much unbelievably better. Um, but one of the things that we learned early in our marriage were some things that might have frustrated the other one. Now, I'll give you a funny example. For me, I married um, into the Samoan culture, the Polynesian culture, and uh, I, get, I get ragged for this all the time, so I'm just going to come clean and tell you, um, I really don't like the Samoan food. <clears throat> I just don't like it. The taro or the galo or the corned beef or the spam wrapped in seaweed or whatever it is, that, that whatever it is, I, I really don't like it. And one thing that I really don't like <clears throat> um, it, it's kind of funny, is I really don't like curry. The smell of it kind of makes, ma- makes me angry, actually. And so at the beginning, when Nina would try to make dinner or something for us, she would try to make the things that she loves so much, and I would, I would go, man, I thank you for making this, but I don't really like it. And so she didn't try to force feed me a bunch of curry and a bunch of coconut and a bunch of spam and a bunch of corned beef. She didn't do that. She saw me as this a poor southern boy who had a very limited palate on his tongue from going up in the south, meat and potatoes, that's me. She saw me and said, you know what? He doesn't like it. You know, when we go out, my family and friends will have it then, but I'm not going to force this on him because I love him enough. I want him to have what he wants. In similar ways, uh, throughout our relationship, there have been things that I do that may have caused her frustration earlier in our marriage that I learned, you know what? I don't want to do that. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's just something that I want our relationship to grow. And so it's not about the rules. It's about my commitment to the relationship to do what's required to keep that relationship deep, thriving, and alive. <clears throat> Doing this work removes the things that may destroy the growth we're pursuing and protects the faith that we have in Jesus, Galatians chapter 2. So when we talk in, for the next several weeks about doing this work specifically, pulling these weeds out, cultivating roots that are growing, believing in these things, that the seeds of, of God's word that are alive in us and preparing the ground, <clears throat> I want to make sure that we understand that it's not a works-based thing to get something from God, no, It is a loving response to our commitment to him. Of course I would do what you ask because the amount of love that has been shown and given and bestowed on us. Now, the whole goal here as we wrap up is to get things in us to grow. But I want one thing in particular to die. And that's how we'll kind of wrap up our message here today. I want one weed that sometimes look like a plant, sometimes looks like a, a plant that's growing, thus people who are believers in Christ, I want to make sure we identify that and pull it out. <clears throat> and that's this. There's a, um, if you grew up in church any, uh, for any length of time like me, you probably um, have heard this. And if you're someone who believes this, don't worry, I did for a while. And if you're someone who doesn't, great for, that's great for you. But I think that it might be kind of subtly but viciously growing underneath the surface in many believers in Christ. 
And for us here at RCC and for all the people who are part of our extended family who may not be able to come to services and stuff every weekend, you're in some other part of the country or some other part of the world, I want to make sure that we as believers in Christ remove this weed. And it's this. There's a dangerous and unbiblical idea that has been presented by the American church. And it's this. If I do what God wants, then God does what I want. If I do what God wants, then God will do what I want. Sounds like kind of a bold statement to me. And I understand the scripture where people quote a lot, you know, if you you delight in the Lord in your heart, then he will give you the desires of your heart. But we just can't pull that one phrase out and ignore everything else is around it because that scripture does not mean if I do what God wants, if I delight in him, if I live morally, if I do all the things that he's lined out on the rules, then he's going to do what I want. Typically here in our country, that um, when we talk about getting what I want, it's all around a lot of materialism. If I serve God and I, I follow what he says to do and I go to church and I give a little bit of money in the offering and I do all these things and I'm trying to live good and if I'm going to do that, then I'm doing that at the expense of looking at God later and going, hey man, did what you wanted and now I want you to do what I want. <clears throat> I would like a a pretty padded bank account. I would like a nice home, a couple cars. I'd like a, a, a marriage that, where we never fight, and all the married people laughed at that one, I'm sure. But you, you want kids that never you know, talk back, and all the parents, you kind of probably laughed at that one too because my mom would laugh at that because I'm sure I mouthed off to her quite a few times. <clears throat> but you want all these things and create this utopian idea of this perfect I, uh, life so I could go out there and show people, look, this is what it's like to serve God. You know, I'm serving God. He gives me what I want. So if you want, what you, if you want something good, go serve God and he'll give it to you. And if you just start in the New Testament and just read the Gospels and just read the Gospel of John and then keep going and, and look at the life of the, the disciples, you'll realize that this teaching is incorrect. It may look like it's uh, beneficial and growing in our life. And, you know, there's some weeds that were in that 4-H, that plot of land in my, in my 4-H garden that, that sprouted up and had these little yellow flowers on the end of them. And I thought, oh, why am I pulling that up? And they're like, no, no, no. It looks like a flower. It's a weed. We got to get rid of it. <clears throat> this idea is one of those things that we need to remove. Why? If this is our perception of God... <clears throat> then the relationship with God is not a relationship. It's the next line of your notes. It's a transaction. What do I mean by that? Let's say you roll up to your favorite um, fast food spot, Chick-fil-A, and you order a a Jesus chicken number one. (laughs) Sorry, I laughed at my own joke there. But you got to order it without pickles because that's just nasty. So you order the uh, chicken sandwich, no pickles. You get a, a thing of waffle fries. Uh, an extra large sweet tea, hallelujah, I'm hungry. And um, then you get a couple of um, uh, Chick-fil-A sauces on the side with some ketchup to dip those waffle fries in. And when you go and order it, they say, okay, it's going to be $8. You hand $8 and give it to them, and they give you the chicken meal. You give them what they want, which is the money. They give you what you want, and it's the chicken. In a very same way, if we think... I do what God wants, and then God's going to do what I want. 
the relationship is non-existent. It's just a transactional encounter for me to get what I want. And that's not how this works. That's not <clears throat> found anywhere in Scripture. See, the principles of God, the next line of your notes, the principles of God work everywhere. Not just in America or our culture or our country where we are right now. And I, want to spe- I say that specifically because of this. Just think about that idea. If you do what God wants, He does what you want. Do you think that message translates to the Coptic Christians who are in Egypt? Who have been drugged from their homes by terrorists and when they refuse to renounce Christ are literally beheaded alive? Do you think the message of the gospel of, hey man, when they're getting drugged out there and the guy's pulling a knife out and about to cut their head off, going, hey man, if you do what, if, if you do what God wants, he's going to do what you want. That doesn't fly there. Does, it, does that message work in China? Where I've recently in the last 10 days seen several videos of the Chinese government coming into the underground church in China and removing and imprisoning people in the middle of their services to intimidate them not to be Christians. And they're imprisoning them. The message of, hey man, do what God wants and you get what you want, doesn't fly there. It also doesn't fly in Iran to the mostly women who are now evangelists and building churches, the fastest growing underground Christian church in the world in Iran. And if that principle of that transactional relationship doesn't work there, my friends, it's not the gospel because the gospel applies to every single person regardless of culture, age, creed, ethnicity, social status, whatever it is. The gospel goes across all of those bounds and Jesus becomes reality to everyone. His principles are true. And if they don't work somewhere else, They're not going to work here. We have to replace the transactional idea of God with one of true relationship. And it's the last line there in your notes. We have to replace the transactional idea of God with one of true relationship. If you are someone who says, man, I kind of thought like that, Matt. I kind of look at my own life and think, man, if I do all these things, God's going to give me stuff. If that's you, first I want you to hear me. That was me. I completely believed that for for a portion of my life until the Holy Spirit convicted me to the point where I dove into His Word and had to find out for myself, this is not how this works. This is not how this works. I'm not trying to tell you if you're a successful business person and you are um, funding all these efforts in the kingdom that God's you know, frustrated with you and that money is bad. No, 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 no. The love of money is what Scripture says. The love of these other things, these become weeds that need to be removed. And one that I want us to together cumulatively to remove is this. This idea that could be growing in us. You may have heard from ministers or pastors, you know, not only to believe that, but to expect God to give you stuff because you listened to, you followed the rules or whatever. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, 
that expectation is going to be left unfulfilled. <clears throat> because when we look at His Word, we find that Jesus' own statement to us, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. <clears throat> if you are someone who used to believe like I do that it was more of a transactional style of relationship, <clears throat> I'm going to invite you to this week, maybe today after this message, where you are, wherever you're listening to this sometime in the future, to stop <clears throat> and ask the Lord, is this in me? And if it is, with all your might, with all your power, and through faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, get that thing out of the soil of your life and don't just snap it off. Do the dirty, hard work of digging up those roots and removing it completely from your mind and your heart. Why? so that the seed of the true Word of God can grow. <clears throat>